0: everyone, to episode 26 of Room of Requirement, our podcast dedicated to... Uh,
1: resilience and reason in the age of Trump.
0: And uh, with us, I am one of your co-hosts, Kamal Rao and with me is... Uh, Miracle Jones. And joining us, we have a special guest, my sister, Dadima. Say hi, Dadima. Hello. Thank, thank, thank you for joining us. Thank you for
1: being on this podcast. Oh well, yeah. I'm honored to uh, join in with my
2: shitty opinions. <laughs>
1: That's what we do every yeah. week.
2: In company, in yeah, company,
1: yeah, company.
0: Um, and where are you calling in from? I am calling in from North Carolina. Um, all right. So normally we'd like to start every podcast uh, talking about how we've been over the past week, just a check-in. Um, but we, really, I think, we'll start this podcast talking a little bit about our new weekly schedule. Um, some of you have noticed that we've actually uh, released quite a few podcasts in the past several weeks, and we effectively have cleaned our, our inventory. Um, and I think we are—we have committed, Miracle Jones and I have committed to trying to put out this podcast every week, so recording it and trying to turn it out around as quickly as possible to give you sort of a fresh take on our analysis of the week's events.
2: Did I have a dream last night Or did you tell me that the New York Times is following you guys?
0: The New York Times is not following us as far as I know. We barely follow the New York Times. (laughs) (laughs) It's mutual. (laughs) Our
1: suspicion.
2: (laughs) Um excited. Well, you know.
0: Yeah. So I think. None
2: my dreams have come true. So there you go. <laughs> um,
0: okay. So a weekly, we're going to try to put out uh, a new episode every week, uh, midnight on Wednesdays. I think going forward. So uh, that is in response to some of our listeners and wanting to a little bit more frequent uh, updates from us. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you think that's hilarious. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that has to be a lie. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't have listeners. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It's
0: true. Um, all right, so let's start with a check-in um, with each other. So I'll start with Miracle-Jones. Miracle-Jones, how have you been in the past week? I'm great. Yeah? How about you? Um <laughs> I've been all right, actually. So I started a a new job. So last week was my first working week. That's why we didn't actually have a podcast last week. Um, And I'm just getting used to going back, uh, actually having kind of a 9 to 5, longer, actually probably 8 to 6 kind of job. Um, It's, you know, I went, I was working at home for years. It's it's like a hard transition. Like, has you, have you been sleeping okay? Has it been like yeah and, uh, the the short answer is no I have not been sleeping okay no I have not been eating um, uh, it's just like it's just sort of and uh, I don't know I, I, it forces you once you have this huge chunk of time known as work uh, scheduled out for you you have to like reorder your priorities so I, I have to uh, like this week was just like getting or last week was just getting to work on time this week will be about food and exercise so I'm gonna like I I haven't done a keto for a little bit so I'm gonna go back tomorrow um and then, uh, from then on, um, I'm trying to get more of my stuff in line. I'm also trying to keep in touch with the people who, uh, really matter to me. So, my family, I make sure I call them every week, uh, as, as Dadima can, uh, attest to. It's just uh, like a two birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't have time to, like, interact with you both. Yeah. So, I'm just trying to combine you. Uh, um, so that's what's going on with me. So, uh. I and notice you did, are you bringing your lunch every day? I, I just, yeah. yeah so I yeah. brought my lunch so I just started to bring my lunch and I eat breakfast at home. So I see, I see. yeah.
1: How's the food at,
0: at your new job? I mean Uh you're the well yeah so it's 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 a French company yeah. so uh, the cafeteria is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's cheap. Um the other day I had uh, crab casserole. <laughs> so, oh like god! Yeah, so crab. Ca- so crab is an expensive meat. Sure. And they, they just threw it in a casserole, like <laughs> so, so. Well, they're
2: stretching. They're stretching their dollar
0: on the casserole. Yeah, yeah. The crab was about to go bad. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess. Maybe
2: <they'll, laughs> we'll let next week.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the Americans—they'll eat anything. So I mean, <laughs> throw it in a the casserole. They—they they love that stuff. Um, so, uh, so that's it for me. Uh, Dadima you want to go in? You want to talk right. a little bit about <laughs> yourself? I guess some kind of a perennial
1: preoccupation with our podcast is the election, right? The the twenty sixteen presidential election. Uh, has it changed your life in any way? Kind of our new political, I don't know, reality.
2: It it, it devastated me, which is embarrassing to say, but it did. I mean, I think I think my my geographic position might have quite a bit to do that, with that as well as, I mean I'm a woman I'm, I'm not white um, and I'm I'm in western North Carolina so I'm in the, a city in western North Carolina but it's pretty rural so I'm not that far I, I, I think that when you lived in a bubble, like a city kind of bubble, even, even our parents in Durham, they were It wasn't that they were surprised, it's just that they were, you know, two or three neighborhoods away from Trump posters, you know, on somebody's lawn. But it wasn't, and I know how prevalent those kind of ideas and support for him were, so it was was just sad. It was like a very... Um, like well, like you guys say, Voldemort kind of won. It was it was awful, you know. So yeah, it was it's devastating. And every uh, and I mean, just a little bit about my background. I spent, I guess, I would consider it to three to five years in sexual assault,
0: helping victims of sexual assault, not in sexual assault as an industry.
2: More specifically, I worked with people who had been sexually assaulted, whether it was recent or, you know, like years ago, and quite a bit of that has to do with, or the work I did had to do with legislation, so being um, in the court with folks and talking to district attorneys and stuff like that. And I live in a place with quite a few universities, so, uh, you know, the Betsy DeVos Title IX bullshit that's going on, that's, that's, I just, I'm not, I don't think I'd be that emotional about it, but it's all, yes, so I'm, I'm devastated on a number of, of levels.
1: Yeah, how did it hit you personally, I mean? Uh...
2: <laughs> um, I remember um, the election night. I went to bed early, not believing it, and then I got up and went to work, which is a surprise because I don't often do that. Um, but I, I remember, so when, when I... I, again, I live I, work, I live in a city, but the way where I parked, I felt I, I, like I had to walk to work, so like whatever, a block or two, which isn't a big deal in New York City, but depending on where you are, it is, so I had this like creepy under the bridge walk to work kind of thing, and I remember feeling really scared, so I remember feeling like I was a target because I was brown. And female, and I, I think one of the most underreported hate crimes in probably any place is uh, rape. So I, I felt really sexually vulnerable. That's the only way I could process it. That's yeah. how I felt about it.
0: So, in times of trouble, um, I think both of us do this where uh, uh, we'll call dad. So, did you call dad after the election?
2: I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I I. talked to him in those couple of days. Do You know what? I did. I did. I did. Like, I did. And I, um, and I remember he said something very wise as a man who's lived a billion years will say, like, he was like, yeah, you know, I understand that this is rough for you, but it will change. We will move on. This is not just a moment I remember. I don't know when so-and-so was elected, and so-and-so was elected, like we'll be fine, that kind of thing. But I do remember like when one of the things that I did was I talked to, and I was kind of crying the entire day after the election. Um, I, I remember I was talking to my husband, which is really interesting, and he was like, hey, how are you doing? he's not a touchy-feely kind of guy, and he was trying to tell me, no, 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 it'll be okay, it'll be okay, it will be okay, and I felt really isolated by that, by him saying that, because I was, I was, like, abundantly aware that it would not be okay, but, you know, just, you know, that's the role he kind of plays in my life, he's, like, a support, um, trying to keep me
0: safe kind of thing but this was like a, a moment where it was i was just really, really abundantly aware that we were not safe nothing will make it better um so the other thing about about you um is actually you are uh you are embedded in in trump country in some way because your husband is his family at least there are some ardent trump supporters so there. are um, yeah. so, so politics comes up right around Christmas and things like that. Whenever you see them, and um, I think you have a pretty good relationship with your in-laws, but uh, politics must be a, add an interesting dynamic to that, right? This is an interesting thing
2: for me, at least, and, what, and like in the context of marriage, when you're thinking about relationships. So my uh, my my father-in-law is a. Adam the like second amendment kind of dude he he loves guns he has tons of them he like stockpiles ammo he's very much like a i don't know if he is he just loves guns i mean he's like the nra's dude that kind of thing but and i know he and his wife they i mean they grew up whenever they grew up, they were both white, they, they profited a lot of being, you know, white in, in in the South at a time when that's when, you know, people could own property if they were white, so they spent a lot of time, they would be the kind of folks who would say, you know, you need to pull yourself up from your bootstraps, Is that way you say it, um, they are. I, we've had. I've had a few arguments with my father-in-law about uh, criminal justice, and it's a small part of him. He loves me, and I love him, and I respect him. And, um, he gave me two of my greatest gifts. My first and foremost, my husband. He raised my husband, who um, is not a Trump supporter, um, and his brother who's one of my best friends who's not a Trump supporter so yeah that's my, that's my background I'm very close and I love Trump supporters
0: that was a really good introduction but um, I, uh, I, I don't want the siblings to monopolize the time man how have you been like you're going through a transition I just want to check in uh... like work-wise and stuff you're yeah. All right.
1: yeah i've just been writing a lot of fiction and i don't know applying for different weird jobs and joining like the editor's guild which yeah. costs money to join so i'm becoming union i guess which i'd always avoided up till now but i see the benefits of it at this point because there's like <laughs> there's like work that you can get that way and that you can't get other ways and i don't know it seems it seems like it will be useful in the long run but i'm also like Freelancing right now, which is precarious, and gives me lots of free time to hopefully edit this podcast. But in other ways, is horrible. <laughs> so if you, yeah, yeah, so if this podcast comes <laughs> out regularly and with like vigor, this is actually barometer <laughs> of, of
0: yeah, like how, like, yeah, how
1: terrible my personal life is. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah.
0: So yeah, the more uh, regular this podcast comes out, yeah, the uh, more, the more, the more, more you should actually mourn for us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, yeah. I <laughs> Uh, I just had I just went to a like a, I'm looking forward to winter because it's like board game season. yeah, so I'm looking forward to like you know, hanging out with you and friends more and just like on weekends and I think that would be nice. Yeah,
0: the weather's changing. It's yeah. actually getting cold today. Is like a cold day, so I know that tends to affect your. Health. I'm trying to make the best of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: before before we do move on, I just I did want to ask you something like as someone who specializes in trauma. Uh, and who's worked with individuals about this, about dealing with trauma on a regular basis as a profession, Uh, do you have kind of any advice for people who may not really be acknowledging the extent to which the events politically are affecting them and kind of signs you can look for and ways people could get help or like what they can do just like on a simple things maybe that will kind of help Oh.
2: Well, gosh. Um, but not, I mean, thank you for saying that. I just work with folks. But it sounds like you guys are doing a good job like checking in with each other and being vulnerable about stuff if that makes sense. Like saying, you know, as long as you're in a safe space to go like, yeah, this is really, really hurting. Like you guys do and checking in with each other about eating and exercise, doing those basic things. But also, I mean, for, for me, because my friends have taken it differently, I mean, I have another friend who's very, basically has this same life she's married to, um, she's, she's Indian, she's married to a dude that, um, that is very, in Trump culture, that kind of, or is married, or, it's like, her his family is. it's just, a. Uh, she had a breakdown, but like she, I mean, not a little black cat, she just took it very hard. Yeah. But I, I think remembering what makes you happy and what your skills are to help, um, whether that's, you know, like getting on Twitter or joining a local committee, you know, for your city government, those, those are all greetings. You guys seem to be doing getting this under wraps. And remembering, you know, just getting what you need, I think is really important.
1: Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. Um. Have you have you been eating well and taking care of yourself and trying to get through it? Not at all. Not at all? <laughs> not, no, not at all. Really? Not at all. Not at all. I, I'm
2: a big chip and chocolate fan. Sugar is a big thing for me, so that's always like an ongoing thing. And my, my husband's had some health stuff, actually I don't have, so yeah. It's always like a, it's always, it's, it's, it's kind of like overwhelming, but it's also a nice place to you know, restart your day, like, to go, oh, this, this meal, right now is a time for I, me to treat myself better, so, you know, I've got a lot of hope that way, but I'm working on it, so it's a constant, constant battle.
1: For me, it isn't so much as, like, on a daily basis, like, it hurts and affects me, you know, but when something does go wrong or is, like, bad, you know, it does, like, magnify it, right? It's like anything that the the like fundaments like the bedrock of like emotional stability is like been kicked out you know i don't trust certain institutions anymore and it makes just like daily life harder
0: right Um, i think it's true when you ever you go through anything that is personally traumatic right like you just get way more sensitive things amplify um you know, and I I remember I went through a, my own personal crisis. This was many years ago, but I just remember being just really sensitive and like reacting. But it didn't have anything to do with politics yeah, at the time. Like, yeah. um, so uh, I think mine started out. I know exactly when it was around 2005. So it wasn't. It had nothing. It didn't align with any political news. But like, I just remember just being really sensitive, even at like work. Like mm-hmm. you know, and and. Uh, um, and, and so once you go through that process, or when you're going through that process of just feeling really put upon emotionally, everything amplifies it, so you have kind of little emotional reserves to deal with it, so I mean um, I'm not sure, you know, eight, nine months in the Trump presidency, that's still a, a, an issue for a lot of people, but um, it can be
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean I think, I think there's new kind of traumas on a regular basis, though, that it's like you but- get but yeah. as, as certain as things happen, right? Sure. You just kind of, kind of like, re-triggers the initial events, and then you you think back to the catastrophic cataclysm that started all off. Whether that's the ACA getting defunded or you know, sure, sure, anything, new, a new war, a new conflagration, everything kind of just puts you back into that state of feeling powerless. Right, but
0: I, I mean, I mean, part of the, the thrust of this podcast is that I think you're particularly sensitive yeah. to political events. Um, whereas I often think that politics is just a way of you or anyone really talking about really personal things. I think that's true too. Yeah, so, uh, you know, so I mean the political is always really personal, right? Like, and so um, we're going to transition to talking about politics uh, a little. So we wanted to talk about a few things uh, and feel free to uh, chime in, sister of mine. Uh, So the first thing I wanted to talk about is the Iran deal. Right. And so uh, this is a deal that is—it's uh, getting a lot of news. It deserves a lot of news, um, and I think one of the, the most important thing I think to keep in mind is it's a complicated deal, right? So that Trump really has an instinct towards wanting to to cancel the deal or walk away from the deal, and I think instinctively the left will be like, no, we have to support the deal. It's part of Barack Obama's legacy, but this is a foreign policy deal, and all things in foreign policy, I'm going to argue, all things in policy are complicated, and so instinctive tribal lenses don't really serve you that well. So, it I mean, there are plenty of things to criticize about the deal, and plenty of things to, to support it, but you can actually, this is one of those things that, if you really want to be honest, you don't necessarily have to take a side on this, right? Or, I mean, I don't know if that's the right way to put it.
1: Yeah, I would say that, those who are critical of liberal democracy just in general it is an opportunity to hit at one of the weaknesses of liberal democracy which is that there's a turnover every four years or er, er, eight years and our deals are therefore not ratified by some sort of like tyrannical authoritarian that is in power for many generations and can stand by alliances right so yeah. this is a this is seen as so, you know, like a, gr- a really great leader, we may have who makes all these uh, great deals. You know, in capital letters, uh, could have th- their entire work overturned by a new administration, right? Theoretically,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, that hasn't happened very often because we realize the strength of sticking by our word. Generally speaking, as uh, foreign policy establishment and a, con- and a government with continuity to it, sure. Yeah. and I guess I'm more worried not so much about the specific parameters of the Iran deal as I am about that happening, uh, what it means if we are a country that kind of re-examines its foreign policy every four years as opposed to having some sort of continuity some sort of strategy, some sort of network of alliances that persists beyond various administrations and internally uh, how we present ourselves as a cohesive country as opposed to a country with disparate opposing opinions. Yeah,
0: I don't know about, I don't know how to form continuity, but I think in general that's that's been an argument for any kind of democracy with regular elections, right? So we've always had an issue with turning. I wonder if some things are a little bit more heightened now that maybe the policies, especially foreign policy, has started to even reflect a deeper division in the in the body politic, right? Like, so, like, and I always think of Trump as sort of being comic book guy, right? From the Simpsons, where he's like, worst presidency ever, right? Like, he just thinks that no matter what his entire analysis, like, everything Barack Obama did was terrible, and I have to overturn it. That's his his own, his, the depth of his thinking, and so it's really hard. I don't know if people, other people who would come into that position often would be like, okay, I'm going to run in in opposition, I'm going to Produce myself. I'm going to propose that I am the candidate of change, and then the pressures and the forces become very real. And uh, once you get inside the Oval Office, and you change to that, and that's exactly what happened with Barack Obama. All uh, right, so he ran in a very leftish kind of uh, position or a set of uh, positions, and when he got into office, uh, how how he. His policy was very different, right? It was much more center, if not center-right, in terms of, of politics, or at least foreign policy. So uh, I think with Trump, the, he's, he's much more reactive, and he's much more willing to shut down and tear down tradition because I think that's what he thinks he should be doing, right? So he is oppositional for the sake of being oppositional. So maybe this is unique? I don't know if it is. <laughs> I think
1: they saw him, despite the fact that he was... Operating kind of as a center-right politician, with respect to foreign policy, the right saw him as acting like totally counter to everything Bush did, and just like even though that was just demonstrably untrue, there was like a you know clear continuity of behavior in Iraq, with respect to Europe, with respect to Russia, and Afghanistan. We just kind of kept doing the same damn thing, right? Yeah. Uh, How? But the Iran deal was definitely something new. So that was like a you know a new this like out of nowhere like new leftist incursion against the aims of our traditional ally israel and therefore it's it's ready for the chopping block it's uh, that was the insult and uh, eliminating deal will be returning back to our traditional continuity as far as our allies go um do you have anything to
0: add dude i don't know what the hell you guys are talking about (laughs)
2: I think when it comes to things like this, this, this oppositional game, this dichotomy between Democrats and, and, and Republicans is, you know, what could possibly be the solution? That's, that's the way I look at it. And I think about, okay, well, what if we have multiple parties? What if we had more than two parties? Would that help? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Part of the discussion sounds like it's, okay, so every four years, hypothetically, without two-term presidents, that kind of stuff. And let's say that even with two-term presidents, usually, usually what happens is it swings Democratic, Republican, then Republican Democratic. And Democratic. Does that mean that we're going to revise the, our foreign policy stance, which just kind of makes us look like assholes, right? Um, if that is the case, would it be alleviated um, by, by introducing other parties?
1: What it also does is incentivizes foreign governments to get involved in our elections if they know that by swinging things one way or the other, they can our foreign policy will radically change, right? Yeah. If we don't kind of allow ourselves that. Yeah, but luxury. I don't know.
0: I don't know what your practical solution is. I mean, how do you? How do you? It is effectively a democracy, right? The body of politics makes laws, and they can also walk away from treaties. So, it's true, uh, but treaties
1: have parameters, and if we make it uh, an American principle to stick by the parameters of treaties unless one side or the other sure. violates those then, th- which hasn't been done yet, right? right? Iran has not
0: violated the parameters right, I think it, it, Yeah, the I'm trying to remember, I think technically it's not a treaty, it's a deal. It's a deal, but right,
1: it, it does have, it is a deal that every <laughs> other country has signed on to. Yeah, so uh,
0: our- I wanted to ask you though so are you a fan of the the iran deal that's a larger question
1: because i think in the since we've signed it the geopolitical situation has shifted dramatically right er, iran is the country that props up syria right
0: yeah
1: more so than russia Yeah. because there's a kind of They have boots on the ground. They have boots on the ground. They have a uh, consanguity as far as culture goes. They have an interest in the region. Sure,
0: geographically, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, When the deal was signed, we kind of assumed that Assad would be gone relatively soon. Yeah. Now that Assad will be in power, Iran doesn't necessarily need a nuclear weapon anymore in order to have regional power, right? Right. They have a... Vast area of land they continue to control and can work out their aims that way.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and Russia, uh,
0: their alliance has become
1: a lot tighter.
0: Yeah.
1: And so the they're no longer as isolated as they were from the uh, global community of non-rogue states right. as when the deal was signed. Now they have a trading power. They have a lot more power. Nuclear weapon is not necessarily their greatest you know foreign policy aim as far as exacting whatever goals they have. Right. Yeah. So they get a lot out of it. They get a lot out of the deal more so than what they put into it. Uh, yeah.
0: I, if I were
1: running around right now, my chief goal would not be creating a nuclear weapon. It would be continuing to create the divisions and the chaos in the region that creates a softness that they can exploit, which yeah. is what they're doing.
0: Yeah, um, uh, for the sake of time, I think we're going to have to move on from the Iran deal. Sure. But it's a very complicated subject. Yeah. So the one thing I was going to do is just give a couple of podcasts that I think are uh... lay out both sides of the argument yeah, yeah. Um, so um, with the one on uh, sort of the anti ideal um, uh, is an interview on from uh... the federalist podcast which is a podcast they don't necessarily love they tend to tow and carry water for trump presidency but in this case they were interviewing a uh... bloomberg columnist named eli lake so it's about a fifty minute interview um, and it's it's quite good uh... much shorter pro deal uh, podcast is from the Cato Institute uh, from a woman who's I think a foreign policy specialist her name is Emma Ashford so I'll put up the links uh, on our website um, so that you can uh, so our listeners can kind of listen to both sides of the argument because I think there are uh, I mean I think it's a robust debate and I think rather than kind of thinking about it in terms of tribal terms or or left or right or Democrat or or Republican or Trump anti-Trump it's better to kind of try to take in as much information as possible. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's uh, just a complicated issue. yeah, yeah Especially with the Kurds, yeah. what's going on right there. We yeah, absolutely. Get into it, but, uh, yeah. So I think uh, that's it for Iran, at least whatever time we have. Uh, do you want to talk about something else? Yeah, I think we should talk about it. Title Nine. I mean, I think that's an interesting sure, subject. Yeah,
1: and uh, you brought it up. And- so Betsy DeVos. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be arranged about he right? Just
2: this, like, move to charter schools and shit like that. Right. But in terms of Title IX, right. um, like, sexual assault on the college campus, when I was working, um, rape crisis, When I was working with sexual assault victims, um, the way that colleges worked with sexual assault, whether they were public or private, and I worked with both, were pretty egregious. So uh, colleges usually kept, um, they were their own jurisdiction. There were different ways to do it. It never went out. So there was no kind of prosecution via local municipalities for sexual assaulters so that meant like oh there's one in a a pretty liberal university where if somebody was accused of sexual assault there would be basically a trial I'm putting I can't see quotation marks uh, but uh by peers right so jury jury peers were both the the victim and the The perpetrator just presented their case. So you can see, like, in in the context of trauma, how that can be really, really problematic. It can also be very, very problematic because of the truth of your peers and a campus that has whatever, maybe a thousand people tops. Everybody knows everybody. So um, the work that Obama administration did toward sexual assault to sort of open it up. it wasn't just internal investigations. The campus weren't perfect by any means, but my understanding basically that C thought that the perpetrators are 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 getting are holding the burden of i see, I'm getting too emotional about this. You guys take it for a second because we're looking this up.
0: So there's a little before fix we're talking about yeah. So so I think that it's a little bit I, I wanna are you? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to argue for Betsy DeVos, but I think yeah. the idea was that during the Obama administration, and I don't know whether this is part of Title IX statutes, because Title IX means something else too. Um, so, but eventually, so the Obama administration directed college campuses to consider uh, consider rape on a preponderance of evidence, right? Not um, beyond all reasonable doubt, right? So, so effectively, fifty one percent. Way, one way of thinking uh, of the evidence, uh, then, then you would. this, this, isn't, a person, a, this isn't a criminal statute, but Right. This is just like in you know. As, right. As so a, this is. Yeah. I think this is an issue that that goes uh, to to what my sister was saying. Right. So this is this is what you have, I and mean, one of the things I have about the process I don't like is we still don't effectively uh, when someone is accused of rape, they're not effectively they're not. Tossed to courts, right? Like I mean, right? So this is one of those issues that effectively uh, colleges or campuses want to hold within. They want to continue to um, be provide some sort of jurisdiction, uh, jurisdiction, or they want to give the they want to hold onto jurisdiction when it comes to things like campus rape or even campus crime, right? Yeah. Because they they want to keep it in house, and that. I think is just wrong, especially for yeah. egregious crimes, right? And so that's that's not it's not that the Trump administration held back. I think it, uh, they're talking about how, uh, between the Obama administration and the Trump administration, they're talking about how those crimes should be thought of within campuses. But I think in general, that's only because campuses have, are being set up to be courts, and they shouldn't be, right? The minute you have a serious crime, yeah. it should be kicked over yeah. to the courts. Right.
2: And keep in mind, I'm I'm saying that the problem that a lot of sexual assault activists say are against the Obama administration is for that reason. You don't want the jurisdiction just to be within campus because, of course, they're going to try to... With the reverse of inflation, they inflate their numbers so that parents won't be like, "Holy shit, this happens as often as it happens." I'm not letting my kid go there." That kind of thing. But understand that, like, most activists within this field also understand that within the court of law, with any sort of court of law, it's—I mean—it's still pretty fucked. You know, right, right. I've been on tons of court cases. Yeah, so it's not that it's perfect. It's just that the way that the campus. Under like before Obama and actually during the administration worked is that it's insular and uh, you know there's a the bigger issue of like um, perpetrators don't perpetrate once like the. Sexual violence is usually perpetrated over and over and over again, and without any repercussions, nothing's going to stop. And you know that gets into a whole different part of the law, right? Why? How? How do we deal with this population of perpetrators? But, and I understand that there was a funding part, and I think that's what really really focuses into the Title IX. If, if um, school, and I think that's what DeVos really attacked, that schools don't do this kind of.
0: This, this approach then I think it will get better they're talking about pulling out college funding for a number of issues, including free speech issues, I think too. Um, it seems, so it seems to me
1: so we've created two kind of parallel justice systems, right? Uh, the criminal courts which handle cases that are brought you know to the police and investigate for evidence and then are taken to a criminal jury and carry criminal punishment and then we've got internal college courts which the worst thing they can do is expulsion right that's the the height of their powers is to to remove the uh, perpetrator from the school right and I would I think my suspicion is this internal kind of college based justice system is there to prevent lawsuits it's really there to keep Civil litigation out of colleges.
0: I 100 percent agree. Or uh, like, yeah, like my sister said, I, the statistics down. Uh, yeah, it's just a, it's to polish that. Yeah. So, the if if the civil
1: courts were there instead of these, uh, kind of internal tribunals, I don't think we would see sororities and fraternities existing on campuses mm. anymore. I think they would be eliminated for, because they would bring they would be the source of way too many you know civil lawsuits that would.
2: I guess, let me see if I'm understanding. So you're saying that sororities and fraternities would be sued so often because usually sexual assault happens on their
1: on, in their whatever? I'm just saying the way that you, you would not formulate a system that would create the kind of factories for lawsuits. People would be suing them all the time. So they're protected by the internal kind of dynamics of these school tribunals.
0: I think it's not I I don't think that's just and I may be anticipating what you were about to say um, Darima uh, but I think um, I think that's just not I mean there are plenty of schools that have uh, issues with sexual assault and sexual assault that has nothing to do with the frat system right
2: it's interesting because what that that would make sense absolutely, but I think one of the things that's working against sexual assault victims or sexual harassment victims or you know any sort of like egregious sexual crime, I would say, like, um, is the shame that's associated with it. So, and just, it's just hard to legislate and get DNA evidence, right? So, is it, so if, you, if you're doing civil lawsuits on a one-off basis, so whatever the parents of the, the person who's been sexually assaulted brings up these things, they just don't have enough power against the universities. These universities know what the hell they're doing in terms of law, they have the money, they have the power. It's like, it's another power dynamic fuck fest for being fucked over, sexual assault, you could say, for the victim again, I
0: think. The school that I and my my sister went to, Columbia, has actually been in the news uh, recently. It's actually kind of the highlight of the Betsy DeVos argument, right? So they had a student who effectively accused her, uh, uh, accused someone of rape, and then uh, turned it into somewhat of a protest and a sort of public art, Protest. She was. She carried her mattress from class to class until the perpetrator was brought to justice. There's some. uh, It's not really clear. He was
1: exonerated. Yeah. Yeah. And so he he countersued the university.
0: But uh, closer when we were in school, actually, we had a pretty famous athlete who was who was a um, a serial rapist. Not the right term, but he was he was bad. Um, And largely and. And effectively, it was just well-known. It was really, really well-known. And effectively, he just had to sit out a year. I mean, so I don't want to name names, but I mean, effectively, you can Google this pretty quickly. Yeah, the Um, famous athlete. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he went on to play pro (laughs) sports. There's been one every 700 years. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so so he was effectively, he was benched for a year. Um, and then he was allowed to play again, um, and so yeah, it's it. It was pretty bad, and I think Col- and Columbia was willing to turn its eye. And in some ways, I think it's and I, if it hasn't swung the other way, I think it's just it. I I think a college adjudicating these issues one way or another, it's just gonna fuck it up. That that's kind of my experience. I agree. Yeah. With that.
2: Yeah, Yeah, without a doubt, but I think what's interesting about the sexual assault on campus, so let's just, let's look at this as a negative in the fight against sexual harassment or oppression of women, so yeah, we, we, we lost that battle for the, at this point. What I think is interesting is, in the face of this, issues of power dynamic differential, sexually, like, so it's swimming one way, in the courts, but it seems like it's swinging another way in sort of the private sector. Is the way I would put it.
0: Yeah, I, I think at any given time it's hard to say what the trend is because you could say I don't know if it's swinging one way in the courts, right? Like I think it's just that there there's sort of a high profile move in policy on campuses. I don't even know if campuses have really changed how they deal with. Uh, sexual assault. I think that there's there, but there's been sort of poli- There's been a lot of political noise. Uh, but it, I mean, well, it's well, a good transition because I, I wanted to talk about the Weinstein issue, sort of as sort of, either doubling down on defeat or outside the bubble, because um, I wanted to talk about a couple issues. But yeah, so this was an interesting space, right? And um, I, I don't know, miracle Jones. You don't necessarily follow Twitter or the news I, like I do. I don't have Twitter. No. Yeah. Um,
1: I. You know, it, it, we're both James Elroy fans, right? Yes. So any any news from Hollywood that is revelatory about the insidious, like the horrifying dynamics, power dynamics, and just incentives and yeah. people it never really comes as a shock to me. But it seems like this was something that particularly hit people really hard around the country.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's something, it, it got a lot of, it certainly got a lot of press. So again, we're here we're talking about uh, the allegations against Harvey Weinstein, a mega producer in Hollywood, who has who'd started and already started faded, um, uh, a number of allegations um, came to the front, and it seems that he has been carrying on heinous behavior towards uh, women um, in the industry. Uh, industry being Hollywood for years, and this and it has been sort of an open secret in Hollywood. So one of the interesting. Uh, One of the interesting ramifications is that uh, a lot of people on the conservative uh, and conservative uh, talking shops or blogs or, or Twitter said, why aren't Hollywood liberals quick to react? to uh, this, uh, and, and, co- and condemn Harvey, Harvey Weinstein, so it did seem like there was a little bit of a silence coming out from normally pretty vocal Hollywood uh, liberals or, or people who like to give their opinion on Twitter, on medium like Twitter, uh, and I, I think that's an interesting dynamic, right? Like one, we just expect any moral outrage, anything that's terrible to come out, the people who normally have an opinion have to have an opinion about everything that comes out, right? Uh, it just says something about you're not allowed to just be quiet about something, right? And, it, and, I, and that's a weird thing to be in a media age where if you're going to be involved in commenting about politics, you're just expected to comment about everything, uh, even though if you're Alyssa Milano or something like that. yeah. Uh, so that was one thing that I thought about, but right? I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, there are other aspects of it, too. Yeah,
2: you know, I think it's interesting to me that... Um, so there, when anybody's sexually harassed or sexually assaulted, it still comes up like, what were you wearing and what are you doing and that sort of thing. So if you're, but with Hollywood being just or you know acting in general just for women at least I think for men too actually honestly being just sort of uh, it's, it's you have to objectify yourself you have to sexualize yourself how how interesting that that
1: kind of discussion is you know. Yeah. Uh, something that I uh, that I think is is one of the reasons why we're, we're we're having this conversation or focusing on it is precisely because there haven't been any criminal repercussions for what seemed to be extremely horrible behavior, right? right. Like Behavior that like, a normal person ideally would end up in prison for. And what is our <laughs> syst- What is the what system do we have that allows for somebody to be able to skirt the law? For so many years and remain kind of a powerful figure, like what is, how, what is, what is the system of NDAs of of money of of assistance helping you? What, what, I think being able to pay somebody off for after having done this creates sort of a moral hazard or uh, the potential to do it again, right? I'm, I'm not sure it should be yeah. able to do that.
0: Yeah, and I think there and I'm not sure if this is unique to Hollywood. It, I would argue, maybe in degrees, it's. Uh, Hollywood is particularly bad, but yeah. I mean I could be wrong about that, and I don't I don't have evidence backing me up. But let's just say Hollywood is is particularly bad about about being able to support this kind of culture of predatory sexual behavior. Yeah. The truth is that there's something about Hollywood culture that is still really unwilling to speak up about these really powerful people who may be utter, utterly horrible, demonic people. And I think that's in in a way that, I mean, you can be angry that Hollywood liberals are moralizing and sermonizing but not taking care of their own kind of patch of land, but to me that makes sense, right? Like, if you see something that's egregious in your everyday behavior and you have to deal with that and kind of, like, repress it, of course you're going to react and, and... spout about liberal politics all the time because you're not able to like effectively you have you're you forcing, see the power dynamics yeah out, you're forcing away, yeah, yeah you're forcing you're f- being forced to ignore or play nice with this really horrible monster of course you're gonna lash out whenever you see something else so th- that was the thing like I I'm not a big fan of Hollywood celebrities but actually when I how it came out I was like oh there's a really horrible industry to work in and I actually kind of felt sorry for a lot of these people that's like the theme of this podcast is you
1: slowly becoming an actor
0: <laughs> sympathetic <laughs> actor sympathetic right right never never it's just, yeah, yeah. Well,
2: I, I guess I didn't really think so much when people were talking about oh well, liberals aren't talking about it because yeah. in my you know it worked I, I didn't just do sexual assault I did domestic violence I did Um, racial justice did economic justice shit like that (laughs) in all of those fields um, things like um, racial justice and economic justice are discussed but in terms of gender justice gender justice always like comes just settles to the bottom nobody really pays attention to it we're post-feminist now so let's get post-race poor folks
1: yeah Do you think the way that Harvey Weinstein has kind of gone down, he's been removed from all of his positions and is now, you know, facing new lawsuits, uh, do you think this is going to have an effect on how lawsuits are brought against Trump or will the right, having seen this happen, take new stock of the situation?
0: Yeah, I I think uh, my my cynical take is that um, these type of... uh, These type of lawsuits, these type of actions, only happen or only effective after your star has fallen. So it's more um, if you are in ascendancy, if your power is in ascendancy, it's very hard to touch someone, right? Like people don't want to come forth; they don't want to take on uh, the legal fees. But should someone start to fade in power, then troubles will pile in. So like I think it's more an indication that someone's star has fallen than something about. Whether or not um, whether or not people got gathered enough courage, or there are or people are going to uh, take courage from this successful lawsuit to take it to another lawsuit, it really depends on the person and how um, how important they are and how powerful they are. So it's easy actually to pile up on Bill Cosby, even though it hasn't really garnered much in terms of, of uh, legal repercussions. But it, but someone who's very very powerful, it's going to be very very hard to bring them to justice should we find out that these allegations are true.
2: That's a really interesting, I think, sexual harassment and assault, there's just so many roles in court and in society that are unspoken that really work against um, a victim. So. You know, there's the statute of limitations. There's the proof. There's the you know, there's the he said, she said. And I'm making like a gender dichotomy. There it doesn't mean that only women are sexually assaulted or harassed. I mean, that's not what I'm implying. But um, it also seems to me, what's interesting about Weinstein to me is that people who are powerful are coming forward and mm-hmm. letting themselves be known as victims. Um, and I think that's why it's making so much press. But in terms of, in terms of like cult being a sexual harasser or just a general asshole, there's no counter to him. There's no as powerful or getting as much, unless like Aunt Angela Merkel comes forth, you know, that kind of shit. And even then it wouldn't matter in America. Yeah. You, can, you can defame and decredit a, a, a victim of sexual assault. If that's what you're talking about um, in terms of you know defacing or like um, undermining Trump, if it, it is sexual realm, I don't I don't think that's going to make an, a much of an impact or anything
1: for anybody. Hmm. Sure, just, I don't know, personally. Well, thank you for yeah. all, all that you do, and, uh, and I guess stay strong out there. And yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it is, it must be, uh, not easy these days, for yeah. sure. Yeah, stay strong
0: and armed. <laughs> and armed. Um... <laughs> Yeah, That's how I know, think about that. You
2: know. Thanks, and, about- but at least have like a lot of food when it all goes down. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> will, will you take us in if <laughs> we come down from? I'm family. I know what you're doing. I
0: I'll get a ride. i work the land. Too. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You're kind of lazy. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not convinced you have the work ethic to, like, sustain us on our, like, survivalist plot. <laughs> i mean, every, every, every talking every about of or point? Miracle? <laughs> I, I'm talking about maybe Miracle Jones. My
2: husband. We, need a, we need a protein source. You guys figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Um, well, thanks, everyone, uh, for joining us once again. This is a uh, Rumor requirement. I want to thank Miracle Jones and mm-hmm. my sister, Thalima, for um, tuning in. And uh, weighing in on the topics of the day.
1: Um, um, yeah, Thanks so much. Glad we'll to have you back. When, yeah. uh, if you have anything else you want to get deep
0: into. Yeah. Um, so thanks again, listeners. Um, and uh, thanks to Kevin Carter for producing our outro music. Yeah.